Well, welcome to Saints Community Church. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Wayne. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Saints Community where uh, we are one church in three locations, right here in Metairie, in our Bell Chase location that's meeting right now as we speak, and then our online location that will be online tonight at 7 p.m. In all three locations, we have one mission, that is that we are reaching imperfect people to follow a perfect Jesus. How many of you did something this week to prove that you are an imperfect person in need of Jesus in your life? Yeah. And so no matter how you feel, no matter whether you are uh, used to church, you go to church all the time, or whether you, uh, somebody just invited you here today and church isn't really your thing, we're just glad that you're here. And we promise you that God loves you and he has a great, great plan for your life. We are continuing our series today that we have entitled Better Days. So we are looking at a chapter in the Bible in, in a book called Psalms that was written by a king who used to be a shepherd. It is Psalm chapter 23. And let's go ahead and read the text together today. Psalm chapter 23, uh, verses 2, part B, and 3, part A reads like this. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Let's read that one more time. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. I want to speak to you very briefly for the next few minutes this morning on this subject, Fixer Upper. How many of you are HGTV fanatics? You like watching those home television shows? And there are one of the shows that is on there is named Fixer Upper. There is not anything in my life that I can imagine that is more of a nightmare scenario for me than to fix up a house. You'll find out why as we continue this morning. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray as we dive into your word, as we continue to study, Lord, this 23rd Psalm, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come in and would translate it to every person that is here, some that are walking with you in a deep way every day of their life. Lord, some that are used to your presence, but they've strayed, they've wandered away. Lord, some that have continued to walk with you, but they feel that they are in a dry place right now. And Lord, some that don't even know you. I pray that the Holy Spirit would take my words and would translate that into every single kind of person, every individual in this room. May you speak words that I don't even speak. May you say things that I'm not even saying. You are the one, God, that knows everyone here better than I do. So you do what you've got to do in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Well, I want to let you into my life a little bit. For some of you, I don't know you super well. We're getting to know each other. And I thought I'd take a moment and just start us off by letting you know something about me and it's really something about my marriage. I'm married to Christy, the beautiful lady that was standing right behind me on stage with the gray jacket on. And we have in our marriage what I'm going to call this morning role reversal. Everybody say role reversal. Yeah. So role reversal is very simply the fact that I am pretty good at the things that typically sometimes a woman would do in the house. So I'm an excellent cleaner. I can clean like nobody's business. I promise you there are very few people in 
this room, let alone in the world, that can clean as good as I can clean. I'm a great cleaner. I'm a good organizer. I'm really good at organizing. I, I'm really good at, at, at figuring out babysitters and lining babysitters up. I'm, I'm really good at going to soccer practice and running errands and things like that. What I am not good at, the downside of the role reversal in my life, is that I am not good at anything that, that requires what I'm going to call a tool in my hands. I am, I am not good with a screwdriver. I am not good with a hammer. I am not good with a drill. In fact, I'm only not good with those things. Let's go ahead and take it the extra step. I'm actually dangerous with those things in my hand. I am not good at those at all. In fact, we have tools in our house. We have two different spots. We have a shed with some tools and some tools that are in a closet, and they're not referred to as dad's tools. They're referred to as mom's tools because Christy is actually really, really good at anything like this. She's not only really good at it, she really enjoys it. Things that scare me excite her and get her really, really excited. A couple weeks ago, uh, we were moving offices here at the church, and uh, Christy went out and she bought me a, a little $30 bookshelf to put in, the, in my office. And, you know, it wasn't, it's not a big bookshelf. It's not like, it's not a construction site. I don't need a general contractor, you know. It's a, it's a bookshelf. And so she bought it, and we didn't have time to put it together that day that she bought it. She just left the box sitting in my office there, and I came back to work. I was working late that night here at the church, and there was something going on with me that night. I don't know if I was bored or, or what was going on, but I just felt like that box was speaking to me from the floor. I, I felt like the box was saying, you can't do it. You can't put me together. And I tried to ignore that, but then when I felt like the box actually said, you're not a man. You, you can't do manly things like put me together. I, I stood up. I had been thinking about it for about 90 minutes or two hours. And I, I stood up away and got away from my computer. I remember I pushed my chair underneath the desk. And I, I stood up. There was nobody else even in the church, let alone in my office. But I just kind of, you know, made a little bit of a grunt noise when I stood up. Like, you know. And, uh, and I stood up. And I, 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 I didn't open the box, like, carefully. I was like, I'm going to show you how much of a man I am. I ripped open that box, and I ripped open the box, and I did good. I was following the instructions and, and doing it. First of all, let me just tell you, there was like a, it was like a 40-page instruction manual for a bookshelf. I'm like, how hard can this be? Well, I found out about halfway through, about an hour and a half into uh, putting the bookshelf together, I was about halfway through, and there was this one thing that I just couldn't figure out. And so I, I looked over the directions, I looked at the, at the bookshelf, I tried to put it together, I pounded, I got the drill out, I, I drilled things that I didn't even know if I should be drilling, and, and, and then I, I kept pounding, and I felt like, I felt something inside of me say, Wayne, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're actually going to ruin the bookshelf. And so finally, after I had literally for an hour tried to work, I could not get past this one instruction point that, that was one page of the 40-page manual, and I finally gave up on it, and I went home pretty defeated that night. I, I just got to tell you that I, I went home kind of a broken man, if you will. Like, 
Like, I really am not a real man. I, I can't use tools. I can't do things. I surrender my manhood to my spouse, you know, that kind of thing. And the next day, I, I didn't even say anything to Christy about it until we woke up the next morning, and I was like, hey, uh, I don't really want to talk a lot about this, but I just want to let you know that uh, there's a bookshelf that's halfway done. The one you bought me is halfway done in my office, and if you could maybe, whenever you have a chance, uh, stop on over. It's actually, I think you're going to struggle with it too. It's actually one part that's really difficult to put together. And she came in that day, a few hours after I told her, and within about 15 minutes, she had figured it out and put the, not just that part together, the entire thing was put together in about 15 minutes. And at that point, I was reminded, let Christy do what Christy does and let you do what you do. Hello? Now, some of you, now please don't bring that up to me in the lobby. I don't want to talk anymore. Some of you are going to feel a new freedom to talk about this stuff with me. Please don't. Uh, I, I'm still a little bitter about it. And so um, I can't think of a better picture, if you will, a better picture of how this actually resonates, a picture of what happens when we try to fix our own soul. When we, with everything in us, we try to make decisions, we try to strive, we try to get out the instruction manual, we try to do everything we can do, because we think to ourselves, my soul is broken, my soul is on the floor, if you will, and I can't figure out how to put it together. I can't figure out how to fix my own soul. And human beings, we spend a lot of time trying to fix our souls, if you will. We spend a lot of time trying to repair the broken pieces of our souls, the, the, the parts of us on the inside that are broken. And what happens is when you try to fix your own soul, it actually becomes very devastating. Because when you try to fix your own soul, here's what happens. You end up marrying somebody you maybe shouldn't have married. Hello? You end up quitting a job that God didn't want you to quit. You end up taking a job that God didn't maybe think you should take. You end up doing something. You end up moving across the country. You end up doing something irrational because you are trying so diligently to fix the broken inside pieces of you and you make decisions for your life based on if I can just do this, I think this will work. This is gonna fix the hole that's in my soul. This is gonna fix the part of me. And so people literally go on a lifelong search, if you will, trying to fix their own soul. When the greatest thing we could do as humans is recognize we don't have the right tools or the know-how, only God can fix our souls. Hello? Psalm chapter 23, verse 2. David says, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my, what? He restores my soul. Now, when David's writing this, you have to understand that he's writing both pragmatically and metaphorically. So he's writing about a very practical need that we have in our life, but he's also painting this picture of this metaphorical image of water, if you will. And he's really, he's boiling this down all the way to our most basic need as humans, water. Have any of you ever had a time where you were so thirsty 
that the only thing you could think about was that you needed a drink. How many of you have ever had a moment like that in your life? Yes, I know. If you've lived through Louisiana summers, you've had those moments where all you can think about is water. I just need a drink. Water is actually, it's defined, it's interesting because basically what you're admitting when you say I need water is you're, you're admitting I need an outside source, something that can't come from myself. I need an outside source that when I drink it, it will replenish my inside. So my, my physical body will become whole with an outside source that I actually put into my body. Now, David would have understood because, remember, he's an experienced shepherd. He, he spent much of his life as a shepherd before God ever made him king. So he would have understood that when he's writing this, that there are actually two different seasons in Israel. There is a, a dry season in Israel that lasts about 10 months long, and then there's a wet season in Israel that lasts only two months in the Holy Land. And so he would have understood that in the wet season, it's pretty easy to find water. The shepherds would not have to take their sheep out very far to be able to find the water sources that they needed. But there was 10 months out of the year that the dry season was happening. And during the dry season, David understood that a shepherd would have had to take their sheep a long ways through much terrain and rough parts of, of the terrain and, and many uh, things that could attack them and thieves that wanted to steal the sheep. He understood that a shepherd had to go a long ways to lead their sheep to water. Now, sheep, just like us, in fact, every creature uh, on the earth is in need of water. And so sheep need water, but the issue with sheep is that when they become desperate and they become agitated for water, they will go and they will drink water from just about anywhere that they can find, and they will never drink water from a, uh, a moving river, like a, kind of a, uh, imagine it with me, if you will, like a raging river. And they're going to stay away from that, and for good reason, because they, they could easily fall into a river and be drowned and be swept away. So there have, there's an innate thing within sheep that says, I can't get close to that water source. So then what they do is they find a water source that isn't moving, and they'll find a stagnant water source, if you will. And what happens is they go, to, they find these little puddles, and, and in those puddles, because the water is dead, it's stagnant, there's actually many times parasites in that kind of water. And I just thought I'd take a, a little poll here this morning. How many have ever been on a missions trip, maybe to another country, or you've been to another country, maybe it wasn't a missions trip, but for some reason, you actually drank bad water. Raise your hands if you've ever actually had bad. Only a few of us in the room many times. I've had parasites many times. I uh, won't talk anymore about that. Let's move on. And so, so th there the sheep are, and they're drinking from polluted water because they were so desperate for the source that they needed that they just, because of the, they were agitated and restless, they just drank from polluted water. Well, here's what happens when you drink from polluted water. What you thought would be beneficial or desirable, obviously what happens is it becomes destructive. So let me say it like this for the, the four or five of you that like to take notes. When you get soul water from the wrong sources, what you thought was desirable can become what? Destructive. 
When you get your so water from the wrong sources, what you thought was desirable can become destructive. Now, let's talk about how we do this as human beings. And I'm actually going to give you two different lists. The first list is a list of what I would call polluted sources of water. These are things that are actually bad for us, that, that actually pollute our souls. The second list that we have are not bad things. They're actually good things, but they still will not fill your soul the way that God can fill your soul. So let's look at the first list, if you will, uh, together. Things that will pollute your soul. So maybe a specific sin. Okay, that, that, that's happening in your life. Gossip, pornography, substance abuse, rage. These are things that are actually negative. They're, they're, they're actually going to destroy, they're going to pollute your soul. Let's move on. How about continuously scrolling through social media? Don't be mad at me. Look this way. I'm just here to, today to tell you, listen, I check the news every day. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, but I have an understanding that if I do this for too long, if I look at these sources for too long, because I just want to help all of you in the room, every news story that you read, no matter which side you land on, they have an agenda. And can I tell you what their agenda is not? Their agenda is not whoever reads this, I want to build up their soul. That's not their agenda. So if you fill your mind all the time with article after article after article, post after post after post, news after news after news, when you're scrolling through social media all the time, there is actually a pollution of your soul that can take place. Let's move on. I could literally preach a whole message right there. Engaging in social media battles. That's that will pollute your soul. By the way, for any of you that have chosen to engage on social media battles, have you ever changed anyone's mind on that social media battle? Let's move on. All right. How about watching too much TV? Watching too much TV. This is something that on and off I've struggled with throughout my, my life is I sometimes will use TV as an escape mechanism, even sports, guys. I will use it as an escape mechanism, and too much of that can pollute your what? Your soul. Okay. How about not, oh, eating too much, eating too much. Sorry, I didn't see the, the space, so I went eating too much of your own feelings. I don't understand. Okay. Yeah. Eating too much, and that can actually be harmful to your soul. Let's move on. Your own feelings. <laughs> Let me just give you some Helpful tips about your own feelings. It is perfectly okay to have feelings, but there is um, a difference between having feelings and your feelings having you. And when your feelings have you, there's a pollution that's happening in your soul. Uh, the culture, okay? So that's a pretty broad one. It can mean a lot of different things, but the culture can pollute our souls. Here's one. Your political party can actually, if you are dependent on your political party to feed your soul, I want to tell you, the elephant and the donkey do not, their, their intention is not to feed your soul. Their intention is to win. They don't care about feeding your soul. They just want to win. I'll be talking about that in a few weeks. You won't want to miss that Sunday. It's going to be so fun. I'm looking forward to it so much. Not, let's move on. 
friends who are living outside of God's leadership in their lives. So if you, if you spend time, listen, I want you to spend time with people who don't know Jesus. We live on mission. I have friends in my life that I hang out with with the intention of getting them to Christ, getting them to church. But when I allow them to feed my soul and their leadership is not under the guidance and the wisdom and, and, and the base of having Jesus in their life, that actually can pollute my soul. Now let's move on to the next list. These are not bad things. These are good things that still won't fill your thirsty soul. Here's one, your job, your job. Some of you have been alive long enough to have a moment where you gave your job everything you had and then one day you, somebody walked into your office or you were called into your boss's office and they said, hey, you're done. We got to let you go. And you go, but I've given 23 years of my life to this place. And you understand there is not a job out there, even your dream job, that can really truly fill your soul. How about your spouse? Your spouse. Let me talk to the newly married people here in the room. Schaefer and Hannah are here this morning, our, our live production director. They recently got married. Yeah, you can give them a hand. Uh, yep. Hannah is running our slides for us back there, does a great job, and we love Schaefer and Hannah. I got to do their wedding last weekend. Here's what I want to tell you. Schaefer and Hannah, listen up. Everybody else that's newly married, listen up. If you're looking for a man or a woman to fill every need in your life, that is a recipe for a disaster. Hello? Because what happens is when you say, I'm getting married to you because I'm an empty person with a hole in my soul, and I'm, I'm going get, to get married to you because you're going to fill my soul. You're going to make me a whole person. There is no, no human being as great as they are that has the ability to fill your whole soul, friends. And when you put that kind of pressure on your spouse, they can never live up to it. Hello? Okay, let's move on. Somebody didn't like that. That's okay. All right. Your hobbies. Here's another one that I love. I love hobbies. I'm a hobby guy. And, and so sometimes I'll be looking for a hobby to fill my soul. I'll be looking for fantasy footballs, one of my hobbies, to fill my soul. But when I lose on a Sunday, it doesn't fill my soul. It actually can pollute my soul. Let's move on. My, your small group. Some of you were... Go, you went to a small group with the wrong intentions. You thought that the small group would fill your soul. It's not, it's, it, they're going to help you with your soul, but they're not going to be able to fill your soul. No small group leader, as great as they are, can actually fill your soul. Your pastor, I just had to slide that one in there. I can't fill your soul. I don't have the ability. Look this way, y'all. I got my own soul. I got my own stuff. I got my own junk. I got things in my life that God's trying to work out with me and him. I'm going to preach God's word because he's called me to do that faithfully, but I can't fill your soul. Only Jesus can. And then books, information, science. I just wanted to slide that in there for all the smart people in the room. When we get our soul water from wrong sources, it can actually pollute us. And what we thought would be desirable becomes destructive. Now, David understood during this time that 
he wasn't talking, when, when he writes, he leads me beside still waters, he wasn't talking about a fountain in the middle that, that was just in the building that was just overflowing. He was talking about an oasis in the middle of a desert, dry land. In fact, probably look at this picture right here. Here's, here's most likely the kind of source that David is talking about. Now, I want you to notice something as we kind of wrap up this part of the text. Do you notice, if you can look really closely at the picture, you can see that water isn't completely still. It's gently trickling. Do you see that? There's a gentle trickle. So when, when the Bible says, he leads me beside still waters, you're like, oh, great. Thank you, Lord. You're leading me to stagnant water. Isn't that wonderful? No. What it means is, and actually a better translation from the original languages, is it still waters, it's restful waters. He leads me beside restful waters. So, look this way. How many of you, it just does something for your soul when you are, are in a lazy river or you're in the Smoky Mountains and there's a, a creek that, that's, you know, just gently trickling? How many of you actually get, like, that actually makes you a little bit sleepy, like, in a good way? Come on. How many of you enjoy just being, I, I'm somebody that just loves water. I love that s- slow, trickling Water. Yesterday, I went on a kayaking trip with our student ministry, and um, what I thought was a good idea, I realized about mile four of mile seven of that kayaking trip was, wow, this is a really long, long trip. And I, I do have to tell you, I had a really good time yesterday, and my favorite part was that where we went, you actually didn't really have to paddle very much. You actually, it would just every once in a while put your paddle, your oar in the water because the gentle, the, the gentle trickle, the current, if you will, was taking you where you needed to go. And, and those are the best times as we walk with Jesus. Some of you are paddling so hard trying to live for Jesus and trying to do the right thing and trying to, listen, here's what I'm telling you. Let God take the current and just gently guide you. So good, Pastor. Let's move on. Let's move to our last part of the text. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Let's give this some context this morning. Sheep are known to be downcast when they are actually, they they go upside down, and what happens is they they end up on their back, and they do not actually have the ability to turn themselves back over. They, they literally can't. So what happens is, yep, let's just stay there. So this is actually what it looks like when a sheep is called downcast, okay? They have literally fallen down, and they can't get up, okay? So really what happens is sheep are actually known for this, and they actually will start flailing their arms and making noise because they literally can't upright themselves. They can't, they can't help themselves. So I thought I'd show you this picture that was a good representative of next picture, if you will. Yep, yep, that's, yeah, that's, that's literally. Now, you laugh a little bit. Let's see if you laugh when I tell you this is us. This is us. Imagine, if you will, a turtle turned over on its shell. It's no different for a sheep that gets turned over. They, they do not have the ability 
to upright themselves. So let's talk to the two audiences here in this room. Just keep that picture up as we talk about these two audiences. There are some of you here today that, that you're not followers of Jesus. You're maybe not a church person, and you got invited today, and you're, you're going, man, this is just a, you know, I don't understand all the sheep talk that's happening here and, and all this talk that's happening. But here's what I think that you would admit with me. You would admit with me that when you get turned upside down in your life, when you are cast or downcast in your life, that the shepherds of this world most of those shepherds do not have the ability to upright you. No matter where it is that you've looked, whether you've looked at yoga, whether you've looked at motivational teachings and seminars and conferences, whether you thought that getting more money would, would have the ability to upright your life, to upright your soul, because it actually takes someone, a, she a good shepherd will tell you, it takes someone that has an incredible amount of skill, grace, patience, to actually upright your soul. I'm here today to tell you that if you don't know who Jesus is in this room and you're not walking with him closely, we have what's called a good shepherd. And he has the ability to turn you back over and to upright you and to put you back in the right place so you can continue your journey with him. But then there's a second audience that I, I want to speak to here in this room. That's those of you that are actually believers. Whether you've been walking with God for a long time, or a few years, a few months, a few weeks, wherever you find yourself, wherever you land in that, as the band comes forward, I want to talk to you for just a few minutes this morning. Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 16 is, is actually one of the most well-known shepherd passages in, in the Bible. And in this particular passage, what, what God is doing is he's actually rebuking the shepherds of Israel. He's, he's actually rebuking the leaders of Israel. And he's telling them all the, thing, all the ways that they're messing up as shepherds. And it's actually for a, a leader, for a pastor, it, it is a fear of God type of passage for me. Because as I read that, I have to go, God, help me not to be doing these things. But towards the end of that passage, God begins, he, he transitions from rebuking the leaders to talking about, himself, and the kind of shepherd that he is. Here's what Ezekiel 34, verse 16, God speaking about himself says this, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. I want you to listen here. He said, I'll bring back the lost I'll bring, he actually uses the word in the text, the strays. That's for those of you that are not in relationship with Jesus and you're here. But then he says, I'm going to help the injured and the what? The weak. So you transition here from not in relationship with God that he's out searching for, to in relationship with God but injured and weak. So now let's look into the passage, understanding that when it says he restores my soul. To restore actually means to heal, to turn back, to recover, rescue, 
retrieve, and refresh. And the word soul is actually translated in the original language. It's, it's actually written in Hebrew. Sorry to burst your, your bubble if you, you're newer to the Bible, but it actually wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew and Greek. And in the original language, it is actually the word is nefesh. I didn't have to share that with you. I just thought it was a really cool word. Nefesh means soul. So he restores my nefesh. He restores my soul. Well, what does that word in the original language mean? It means a breathing creature, heart, mind, person, and self. So he retrieves my heart, my mind, me as a person, and myself. He brings me back, he brings my heart back to where it should be, my mind back to where it should be, myself back to where it should be. He re revives, retrieves, he refreshes, he goes and he gets back my soul and he puts it back in the right place. Even when I am walking with him, there are times where I'm in a dry place, where I'm in a place I, I'm not feeling him, and I'm injured, I'm weak, I'm hurting. He goes and he restores, he brings back my soul, not to myself, he brings back my soul and restores me back to him. Oh. This is good news, friends, that God actually wants to retrieve, refresh, revive, bring back your nefesh. He wants to bring back your soul back to him. And when he does that, it will change your heart. It will change your mind. It will change your perspective. You all of a sudden will be in the same situation that you're in. Maybe the relationship didn't get better. Maybe the financial situation doesn't look any different than it did, but you think about it differently. You've got new perspective. You've got only new, not only new perspective, you've got God perspective. You've got God perspective on the situation. You've got God perspective on the financial crisis. You've got God perspective in your heart. So where your heart was, watch this, we go all full circle now, your heart was downcast. God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to put you right back up. I'm going to help the injured and the weak. I'm going to refresh, revive, restore your soul. It's literally like, if you can imagine, God breathing life back into us. That same breath that breathed life into Adam and Eve in the beginning of creation. He breathes his life back into our soul, and we feel alive again. We feel revived. We feel refreshed. Everything changes. And here's what I want you to understand. The verb that is actually here denotes that this is a continual action. It's a process that happens over and over and over. This is not a one-time deal. 
This is God saying, I, I got to restore his soul. I got to restore her soul. She's downcast. She's injured. He's wounded. He's broken. I got to breathe life back into him again. I got to breathe life back into her again. I got to restore their soul. It reminds me of uh, Jesus when he ran into a lady at a well. And he had this moment where he, he ran into an actual Samaritan woman. And he, and he tells the Samaritan woman, he, asks, he says, hey, can you, can you get me a drink? And she says, first of all, she was very shocked because he wasn't even supposed to be talking to her according to the custom. And so she's even surprised that this Jew is talking to a Samaritan. And, and she says, sure. And, and, then he, and then he turns around and he says kind of a passage that, that if you don't understand, it can be awkward. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. John chapter 4, verse 10. He says, hey, if you would understand this, you'd be asking me for a drink. And when I give you a drink, it's actually living water. Here's what you got to understand. When Jesus restores our soul, he's not just leading us to the still water. He actually is the still water. He's bringing us back to himself. He's restoring us back to him. He's not just leading us to peaceful streams in our situations. No, what he does is he brings us back to himself. He is the living water. In fact, John 7, 37 says this, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and what? Drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. He's the living water. He restores your soul and brings him, you back to him. So what's the application for this? What do we do with this? Pastor, that's great. Really inspirational. What do I do with what you just gave me? I'm going to give you a sentence and then I'm going to give you two things that I want you to do this week. The sentence is this, if you're taking notes. Let the refresher do the refreshing. Let the refresher do the refreshing. I capitalized refresher so you would understand I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about God. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. Let the refresher do the refreshing. See, here's what happens. We have defense mechanisms when our soul is weak and tired and injured. Our defense mechanisms are things like denial. I'm okay. I'll be okay. I just got to push through right now. I, I'm just going to push through this time, this season in, in my life. Or minim, minimization. So you go, it's not that bad. Other people have it worse. And so you minimize what's happening in your soul. Or compartmentalization where I'm just going to, Kind of, you know, that, that situation that is really bothering my soul, I'm going to compartmentalize it away from the rest of my, my life. Or rationalization, where you rationalize what's happening in your soul. Well, it's because of this, this, and this, and here's why. Or here's the, the last one that I'll give you, blame, where we actually blame other people for what's happening in our soul. No one else is at fault for what's happening in our soul. 
How about let's get rid of all of those and say, I'm not going to do any of those mechanisms. I'm actually just going to admit that my soul is tired, weak, injured. I need Jesus to restore my soul. I need to let the refresher do the refreshing. Now, how do you do this? Here's two steps that I want you to write down for this week. The Holy Spirit just dropped this in me as I was prepping this week. You need to confess and then process. You need to confess and then process. You say, Pastor, what am I confessing? Two things. You're confessing, first of all, that your soul is not in good shape. You're confessing, I'm not going to minimize this. I, I, I'm not going to compartmentalize. I'm not blaming anybody else anymore. I'm not doing any of that. I'm confessing right now to God I am not in good shape. My soul is not well. My soul is not in good shape. But then the second thing you're confessing is, I confess, Jesus, that you are the only one that can fix my soul. I can't fix my own soul. And I invite you in to do what only you can do in my soul. I, I ask you, I ask the refresher to do the refreshing. I confess, I need you, and then I ask you to come in and help me. And then you need to process who do I process with? Two groups of people. Number one actually isn't a person, kind of is, in the form of Jesus. You are processing with God. Can I tell you that since we started the church, since I started pastoring, there's been eight or ten times where Christy will look at me and she'll go, hey, I booked you a hotel room on the North Shore and you've got 48 hours there. I need you to go and talk to Jesus about what's happening in your soul and come back, and you're going to come back a better man for our family and for the church because you and God need to have some discussion about what's happening in your soul. And then I leave those hotel room experiences with God, and I've processed with him. He's, he's helped me understand what, what's going on in my soul, and he's spoken to me about things that need to change and maybe habits or, or situations or whatever. But more than anything, he's put his presence in me. And he said, I, I want you to come back. Come back to me. Come back to me. It's that ongoing process. But then there's a second group of people that we process our soul with. And that is our small group. Because here's why. Your once a week small group time is an opportunity to look at your small group and say, hey, my soul is not good. I need help. Now remember, they can't fix your soul. But you know what they can do? They can grab your hand and they can take you to the source. Have you ever had a time where you were so weak spiritually that you couldn't even pray for yourself? That you needed somebody, a brother or sister in Christ, to pray with you and to pray for you? Come on, how many of you have ever had a moment like that? That's what your small group is for. They're there to say, hey, let's kneel down together. Let's pray over this issue in your soul together. Let's go to the source, the one who can refresh your soul. Let's go to them. So this week, I want you to let the refresher do the refreshing. I want you to confess, and I want you to process. Confess and process. Confess, process with God, and process with your small group what's happening in your soul. Go to the source together. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes all across this room.